0: For 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear.
1: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So every week here on Inside the Hive, we bounce around from topics and so on. But we always seem to have someone on who is a left-leaning anti-Trumper. Someone who despises Donald Trump. So this week, I decided we were going to take a different route. We're going to have someone on who is a right-leaning Donald Trump hater. In fact, we're going to have a Never Trumper on this week. Uh, My guest is Amanda Carpenter. She has a new book out called Gaslighting America, Why We Love It When Trump Lies to Us, although I'm not sure we all love it when Trump lies to us, including this person right here. Um, Amanda is a former staffer for two big senators, Jim DeMint and Ted Cruz. When she was in college, she used to hand out leaflets for none other than homophobic Mike Pence. She has written for The Washington Times and is a contributor on CNN. She's going to join me today to talk about the book, talk about why people, especially evangelicals and people on the right, still support Trump even though they know he's lying or those that don't think he's lying, and how Trump goes about actually gaslighting all of us. After that, stick around because John Kelly, my editor, not the guy who's running the White House right now, is going to come on and talk to us about what's going on with Elon Musk, what's going on with Snapchat, and we're even going to talk a little bit about the royal wedding. So stay tuned, all you royal lovers. So without further ado, I'd like to present Amanda Carpenter. Amanda, welcome to Inside the Hive.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: No, it's exciting. I uh, I read your book, loved it. Um, I wanna I wanna start off by asking you. So you're a conservative who is a never Trumper, correct?
0: Yeah, that is correct.
1: And have you always been a never Trumper, or did, was there a point in time where you're like, eh, maybe I could vote for this guy?
0: Um, I pretty much drew my line in the sand in March of 2016 during the primaries. And that's when Trump was really starting to get a lot of traction, and I believed he was becoming an actual threat rather than this sort of fun thing to talk about and pay attention to and just maybe try to attract people to the party, uh, which is what a lot of Republicans gave him room to run because they thought it would be good for the party. He would attract outside people. Um, There are other candidates who wanted his donations, quite frankly, but by that time, it was clear he was becoming unstoppable. And there were probably two big lines in the sand for me, policy-wise. The first was his relentless threats against the press. Very early on, even right after he made his announcement to run, he began threatening the press and talking favorably about expanding libel laws. And to yeah. me, that, that was a problem as a member of the press, as someone who had worked on Capitol Hill for Senators Ted Cruz and Jim DeMint interfacing with the press, that was a problem. But then secondly, when he started talking very favorably about the use of torture, and this was after he had even said that John McCain wasn't a war hero because he had gotten captured, which was pretty terrible, but to him embrace torturous methods that I was pretty sure would make our troops in the field less safe, those were the two things that I thought were not negotiable for a commander in chief.
1: So your book is about the fact that he lies, he lies often, and but yet we don't care. Well Which is funny, don't I don't even have to
0: prove that he lies anymore because it's become so accepted.
1: <laughs> yeah. So why is it that, that that people don't care? Or or do they believe him? Or what what exactly is it? Because Politicians have always lied here and there. That's that's just kind of part and parcel. But, I mean, he takes it to a whole complete other extreme. He is, as you, your book is titled, Gaslighting America. Why does America not seem to care really about it?
0: Well, in the book, I argue there's three major influences of power in American politics that create incentives for Trump to lie and gaslight, which, you know, you're right. There's a huge distinction between lying you know, like President Bush saying there's going to be WMDs in Iraq or President Obama saying if you like your health plan, care plan, you can keep it. Those are sort of falsehoods that both presidents thought would become true. Uh, gaslighting is completely different. That's creating an alternative reality in which facts are turned on their head um, and people don't know what to believe anymore. And if you don't believe the lie, you are pushed almost to the point of becoming hysterical and crazy. We're not there yet, but I've definitely felt crazy at times. And I bet some of your listeners have too.
1: I'm crazy all the time. I mean, it's just, I'm I'm there.
0: (laughs) So it brings us back to, you know, the three centers of power that create incentives for the lie. First of all, the Republicans, which I spent a lot of time in the book talking about, they go along with many of his lies because it is almost a form of virtue signaling their Commitment to shared causes. When Donald Trump stands up at a rally and says "lock her up," and everyone cheers along, "lock her up," and Michael Flynn says "lock her up," everybody knows that he's not going to lock Hillary Clinton up, right?
1: Do you th- do you th- really think everyone in the audience knows that? Because because I've I've been to a tr- Trump rally and they they sure seemed like they they were hoping it was going to happen.
0: Yeah, but I, hoping hoping something is going to happen isn't quite there. Donald Trump was saying it to show, I will do anything that it takes to beat this woman. When he said, I'm going to build a wall, Mexico's going to pay for it. Most Republicans, even his supporters, say, well, we never thought that was going to happen, but we want him to build the wall. So people will just go along with these things. And you see this play out again and again and again. And he requires it for his inner staff and people who surround him. There's no room for dissent. No matter what he says or does, They'll be wound up and spun out like little puppets to go promote the lies. So there's that. There's the Democrats who still keep falling for this fantasy that the next lie Trump tells will do him in. There's nothing that he could say at this point that's going to pry his supporters away from him, but they keep believing it because they think that somehow, way, there's going to be such a backlash against Trump They will benefit from it. People and voters will come to their side because they're angry and upset at Trump. That did not work out for Hillary Clinton. They are avoiding the direct confrontation that is required to take on a bully like Donald Trump. And it's not an easy fight to win. He will fight dirty, and yet the public expects you to fight back clean. But you are going to have to get in the ring with him. It is inescapable. There's no way that anyone will beat him in this environment if they don't make their presence known in the media if they so can't wait. face so him off in a debate. you know he followed around Hillary Clinton that debate ring, and she didn't once turn around and say why are you why are you following me? Let me make my <laughs> yeah. point." She refused yeah. to do it, and that was a major
1: mistake so let me ask you a question so is the only way for anyone to beat him is to Become him to start lying and gaslighting and and just creating alternate facts in the same way. I mean, if you're debating Donald Trump, right? Let's just say it's 2020 or 2019, leading into 2020, and and you're a politician who's kind of made it up on stage with him, and he makes up a fact uh, that you know the economy grew by 30 percent under him, which is not true. Uh, do you do you say oh well the economy in my home state grew by 60% under me and, and it would grow by 90% in if i were president i mean or like how do you how do you actually respond to that because you can say i mean we've seen this happen in debates and, and discussions with him in, in when he's with the media oh well that's not you call him out you say that's not true and he just says no it is true mm-hmm. um I, You know, I had a a guest on Tim O'Brien several months ago who told this incredible anecdotal story about Donald Trump pretending that there was a Renoir painting on his plane that was a real Renoir and it was a fake. And he said there was nothing he could do to convince Trump that he knew it was a fake.
0: Yeah, I'm not suggesting everyone start lying like Donald Trump, but I think that scenario is a little too narrow-minded because... Donald Trump doesn't debate facts and figures. That's simply not going to happen. More largely is that someone is going to have to be able to hold the public's attention in a compelling way. We've become Trump addicts at this point. Um, Just being anti-Trump only makes him stronger. And so that's why I believe it's going to be so difficult to do Because it will take someone with the sort of charisma and attraction like a Barack Obama. You know, you're going to have to tell a story that people are interested in. And that's where I talk about a little bit how a little gaslighting is good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The way that Donald Trump gaslights, it's all about creating a media narrative and creating suspense and creating good guys and bad guys in a way that always leads to his tremendous victory in the end. That is always the story that he tells. And so someone is going to have to get in there and tell a better story for America in a broad way. Someone is going to have to do media interviews and suggest why we can do better as America. Getting in these little tit-for-tat, tiny little debates about what he said and why he's wrong and how he's a liar is not going to work someone is going to have to show america why we need to do better and it's going to be very difficult to do but if you do anything else means surrendering to his tactics and becoming him in a intolerable way which is not what america american politics should become
1: so the so the folks that he's he's you know manipulating, if you will, you, there are as you mentioned there are his hardline supporters who he could say ap- say or do absolutely anything and they would remain his hardline supporters, but that is what thirty percent of the U.S. Mm-hmm. There's still a twenty to twenty five percent margin group that, um, and I'm, when I say thirty percent of the U.S. I mean the voting U.S. Um, that. Are Republicans who voted for him because they want they did not want to vote for Hillary? Are those people still his supporters?
0: Are you talking about the people who just went along with the party because they hated Hillary so much?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a group of people who who I mean, legitimately adore Trump. They think that he is, you mm-hmm. know. Okay, um, hear what you're saying. Yes, yeah. I think
0: there's a decent population of Republican voters that are gettable. But are the Democrats going to give them anything to consider supporting them for? That's really my question, because everyone keeps thinking, and I've got this question so many times, is that, well, why didn't you, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I didn't vote for either candidate in the presidential election. And they'll say, well, why won't you support a Democrat? Well, I am not a Democrat. Unless there is some clear policy reason, you know, if I believe in 2020 that Donald Trump is going to press the nuclear button, then I might consider voting for a Democrat, so it becomes about the survival of America. But short of that, I need someone in the Democratic Party to show some compassion or understanding for my values, whether that comes to the size and scope of government, whether that comes to abortion, whether it comes to waste, fraud, abuse, and corruption. I need someone to give me something to vote for and I think Republicans are looking potentially, but if this is gonna be a debate about whether, you know, in the news this week MS thirteen is a violent gang or not, well that's not a hard choice to make. And so I I do fear that we're going into an election that's like Nixon versus McGovern in twenty twenty, where you have a president and all his co conspirators under investigation lots of people going to jail and nobody really cares because the democratic alternative is so outrageous.
1: Hmm. One of the things that I found really fascinating um, uh, after the election, I was at an event with Paul Manafort. Uh, This was before Manafort was indicted, of course. And he told the story about how when in the, in the kind of the beginning, when it became clear that Trump was going to be the nominee that they they had a meeting with uh, a group of evangelicals that you know that were very powerful and influential, and they said, "Hey, look, we we get that he's kind of rough around the edges, um, and uh, we don't mind that, but we just want to know: is he going to be pro-choice, and is he going to put someone in the in um, the Supreme Court who is a pro-choice judge?" And they said, "Yes, absolutely," and so on. And and since then there have been you know we've got the Stormy Daniels stuff. It's very clear that right. um, that Trump is not the kind of person that you would normally imagine Mike Pence sitting next to for dinner. Um, mm. do they just or Mike overlook Pence this him, stuff? More likely. <laughs> What's that? Would you say?
0: Or Mike Pence sitting next to Donald Trump more
1: likely? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it. They just don't. They just seem like two polar opposites from a values standpoint. What what's first of all? I'm actually curious if you have any thoughts on why Mike Pence, you, how he can sleep at night knowing uh, that this is the guy that you know he helped get into the White House, um, but also how people like you know that evangelical group of Republicans can justify their you know they are they are anti-abortion and pro-family, and here's a guy who slept with hookers and porn stars and and been divorced more times than I've had hot meals today, and um And yet they're okay with that.
0: Well, first, since you brought up Paul Manafort, because I just had a crazy discussion with a friend of mine who is a hardcore Cruz supporter. And we were talking, and this person was really active. Do you remember the Free the Delegates movement at the convention, which is trying to force a roll call vote to maybe possibly, you know, oust Donald Trump as a nominee? I don't know if you remember that.
1: Yeah, I remember that. But the reason
0: Paul Manafort was brought on board the Trump campaign was because they were so fearful of the contested convention. He was the floor guy during, you know, the Reagan-Ford time, and he got it done, and so they brought him in to essentially squelch the Cruz movement. And so we were talking, and I said, you know, Ted Cruz may have started the Russian investigation, because if Donald Trump had never hired Paul Manafort... And there had never been that news story in August about him taking the Ukrainian Russian money and him resigning so abruptly. There's an argument that there wouldn't have been such a focus on all the Russian connections in the Trump campaign. So that's just a funny side story. So um, we should thank
1: we should thank Ted Cruz for for uh, for something. Perhaps.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, think Ted Cruz would want credit for that now, but I think it's fun to think about um so, that aside so, back to mike pence mike pence yeah. i went to school in muncie indiana and for college at ball state university ball U. and he was the congressman representing that district so he's actually the very first elected republican i had ever met not knocked, knocked doors for as a college student and just thought he was the model republican christian congressman and so it you, is wait,
1: you knocked doors for him
0: Yeah, I did. It was during, I think it's 2004 election, and all the college Republicans, you know, kind of went out and canvassed the neighborhood, which is really easy to do because it was a ruby red district. So it's not like it was any kind of hard work. (laughs) And so, yeah, watching him ascend to governor of Indiana and then almost going down as Indiana governor, but then becoming vice president for Donald Trump is really mind blowing. But do you, you are do absolutely you, right. right.
1: Do you re, do vice you regret that was essential um, in bringing
0: over evangelicals for Donald Trump without a doubt?
1: When you think about like the role like helping out um, you know if you could go back and tell the younger version of yourself not to do it, would you have I mean do you regret being involved in with his campaigns when you know kind of the route that he was going to go and help push the Republican party towards
0: I mean no, because I did relatively nothing <laughs> for <Got> that it. <laughs> campaign. I literally just went yeah. and walked around and he came and talked to our group and rah-rah, George Bush is great, okay, I mean it was really my first experience with any kind of politics, and so i wouldn't I wouldn't take that back just because it was a formative experience without real any responsibility or consequences. Um, but it is, I, it is really odd to reflect on how I think cravenly political he is and how, as a young person, you wouldn't be aware of any of that at all uh, mm-hmm. because he, I think I viewed him as this very folksy, kind man, and a lot of the staff he's surrounded with uh, I, it still is. But he has played this game like no other. And this Stafford wifey routine that he has with Donald Trump staring lovingly you know, into yeah. the back of his head at every speech and beginning every speech he gives without him that I have this great message from Donald Trump who it is the biggest honor of my life to ever serve him. He has these very rote, repeated, scripted lines that honestly yeah. just make you a little nauseous once you hear him do, a dozen do you think times. That,
1: do you think there's a world in which Mike Pence, you know, kind of like someone who's anorexic who, like, binge eats and then goes in the bathroom and vomits everything up? Do you think he does that after he gives— No, uh... I
0: don't. I think because I I know a lot of people like him who have gone into the administration and people who I know kind of just swallow it down and truly say, I'm doing this for the good of my country. And there's Mm -hmm. almost this Christian martyrdom complex that they have that, you know, I know this is bad, but— I'm gonna serve my country and this is the best thing to do because I'm convinced if the liberals get in charge America's going to hell in a handbasket and it's completely rationalized they sleep well at night and in fact they look down on people like me who make their jobs harder
1: that's insane um... it is
0: but that that is my day to day life I promise you is the people at the big gold crosses gleaming off the TV screens and that has been my day-to-day life since 2015.
1: You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. I want to take a break from this fantastic conversation to welcome uh, John Kelly. Uh, John, you there? I'm, I'm welcomed, Nick. I'm fully welcomed. Thank you for having me here. So, John, who's our sponsor this week?
2: I'd like to thank the fine people at Mattress Firm.
1: Nick, I, I have a, a very important question for you. Are, are you struggling to get sleep? Uh, it's funny I am and I have been looking for a new mattress and I hear that mattress firm is the place to go I heard that they have a uh, they're known as America's neighborhood mattress store but they're on the internet is that correct
2: yeah, that's exactly right um, and and they can help you stretch your budget a little further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep these are mattress experts they're here they're people they're you know they they're not um, they're, they're they're not just some diffuse obscure thing They can straight up help you build your bed from the headboard to the adjustable base to the sheets. They even have bedroom decor. Nick, Merry Christmas.
1: I hear that they also have mattress experts. So if you're like me and a mattress buffoon, you call them up, you tell them what you want, and they they help you do it all, including, as you just said, the headboard, adjustable base sheets and so on. Is it true that they are offering a discount to Inside the Hive listeners this week, John?
2: Yeah, my guess would be that you'd be a pretty happy guy if you go to mattressfirm.com and save 10% with the code PODCAST10 through June 5th. So again, Nick, go to mattressfirm.com and save 10% with the code PODCAST10 through
1: June 5th. Is that PODCAST10? I think that that is right. PODCAST10. Yes. Thanks for following up on that. And, uh, and I also read on the website uh, of mattressfirm.com that they offer a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee. So if you don't sleep perfectly for 120 nights, just call up the folks at Mattress Firm, and they will fix it. Once again, it is mattressfirm.com, and you save 10% by entering the, pod, the code PODCAST10. What do you think, as someone who is a Republican, uh, do you what do you think the state of the party is right now? I remember when Trump was kind of coming out; there were seventeen candidates, and it looked even even you know the day of the election, it looked like Trump was going to lose, and this was going to be the end. The Republican Party was going to implode. I remember reading articles about it and people talking about it on the street, and like there was kind of this gleefulness that that was going to happen because it seemed it was in such disarray because no one back, you know, it was like no one wanted him to be the candidate, but he was, it, mm-hmm. he was, he was and, and, and then of course he won. And it, and it, if I think about it kind of even just objectively, it looks like it would have, it would have imploded. Where is it today? You know, you've got Paul Ryan leaving, you've got a lot of Republicans who are not going to run again because they're afraid they're going to lose in their district because of Trump. Is the party, a, a, in a strong place or is it in a um, in the same place that the democrats are which is in trouble
0: well first of all i would warn my democratic friends that the science of 17 or more people running in a primary is not a sign of party unity (laughs) and the idea that all these debates will make the party stronger and more competitive is a complete lie i believe that for the republican primary and that did not turn out to be true The best in the race did not win. It brought out the worst instincts among the competitors and became a big embarrassment. So that's the first thing. Um, And what was the second part?
1: So the second part is is where is the the state of the party? Party yeah, Yeah. Well,
0: here's the thing: with Trump in charge as a Republican in good standing who wants to run for office, wants to do fundraising, wants any kind of job in the administration, you are either in or you are out. There is no way to thread the needle with Trump. Paul Ryan, I think, attempted to do that for quite some time. Bob Corker tried to – Bob Corker was once rumored to be his VP and then maybe even Secretary of State. That guy was playing ball for a long time, trying to influence Trump in the good ways but voice opposition where he's uncomfortable. No, that didn't work nope, he resigned, and as uh, Paul Ryan is not going to run for re-election. And so these people that have tried to say, well, maybe I can use my talents to help him and try to tell him when he's wrong, no, that doesn't work. He does not accept that. And so I think a lot of good people are throwing up their hands, not running again, not trying to get positions in administration anymore, and what you are left with is, yes, A stronger Trumpified Republican Party, but much narrower, much less credible, and much more beatable, quite frankly, in a general election, if, again, the Democrats can get it together.
1: So one of the things that I find really fascinating, uh, you know, there's always a – every action has an equal and opposite reaction, all right? And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that applies to politics and culture in ways that are usually not – you know, as visible as they have been recently, you know, we now have because of the rise of, me. you know, I believe that the rise of Me Too was a rese- direct response to the rise of Trump and, mm-hmm, and the absolutely. fact that he got away with what he got away with. And the, and the rise of Trump has then led to a response where you have more women running for office than in the history of this country. And when you look at the the Democrats, there are you know if you just look at, let's just look at the Senate for, for for a second. There are thirty men and seventeen women in office. When you look at the Republicans, it's forty six men and five women. Those are those numbers. No matter how you look at them, are pathetic. Um, mm-hmm. Why is it that there are so few Republican women uh, that are running this country? And do you think that there will be any response from um, you know from Trump? and the things that he's done that will drive more women to run on the right?
0: Well, maybe there's fewer women running for those seats because women are smarter, and it's a hellacious job to work in the House or the Senate.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a little <laughs> bit of a
0: joke. Um, but really, yeah. those jobs are brutal uh, yeah. after seeing it up close. But just to rewind a little bit, I, I think you're absolutely right that the Me Too movement is a reaction to the election of Donald Trump. I see a lot of similarities between the Me Too movement, you know, throwing things like Black Lives Matter and other associated movements among the left with the rise of the Tea Party. Um, The Tea Party got a lot of criticism for not having a candidate, not having an agenda, just being a protest movement, but that was later channeled into action. And I do think the Me Too movement is much more focused. On electoral goals and that has translated into so many women running into so many districts and so that certainly will bear results I mean you can't put that many pieces on the board and and lose and so I, I think it's Republicans should be worried and there's nothing there's nothing on the Republican side I've talked with Republican friends about this that exists for Republican women is largely because I I think the life issue is such a dividing line. And in conservative circles, there is much more of a push on the media than putting women in office. Um, There are lots of opportunities for conservative women who want to appear on TV, who want to write for blogs, who want to do X, Y, Z, to get training and support to do that. And I know that because I've been familiar with some of it. I've been recruited to go to you know any number of you know workshops about writing or this and that. I've never been asked to run for office. I've been asked for a couple of fundraisers, but that just hasn't been my experience. And I've talked with other Republican women who say the same.
1: Hmm. So okay, let's switch gears for a second here and. Um Talk about the media, which you just brought up. Uh, uh-huh. The prior to the, you know, I mean, you said it earlier that Trump from the get go was immediately attacking the media, and that's something he's done for decades now. Uh, but one of the things that happened as a result of the the election and Russia meddling in it is that we got the term "fake news," which. Trump then, of course, co-opted and has decided to use at his own discretion for things that are, of course, not fake. Uh, um, How do you you think, you know, Trump has attacked the press and the media. He's talked about, you know, rescinding credentials. He's talked about libel laws, all these different things. You talk about this in the book a little bit. How do you think that that this is going to end as far as the media uh, and, you know, when all is said and done – uh, the the war between Trump and the media. How how does this all play out? Does is the media and the First Amendment going to be affected forever as a result of this, where we don't know what is true and what is not, or will there be some sort of reset where we start to we start to separate you know info wars from the Washington Post?
0: Oh man, I hope so. Um, that's a broad question. Most immediately, I do think. Any resolution to the Russia investigation is going to have big repercussions for the media. There is a big, clear dividing line between the pro-Trump media who insists that there's absolutely nothing to see here, no collusion, and and in fact, Trump is a victim of a deep state coup that has targeted him and is seeking to take his presidency down. Okay, that's a pretty big gamble. And that sounds crazy, except for you have major outlets like the Wall Street Journal who is starting to come over to that approach. And formerly, you know, I will say, formerly respected columnists like Kimberly Strassel, who is completely touting that line at this point. And other publications like The Hill and, and that jumping in. And then the other side, you have, you know, places like CNN um, Washington Post, New York Times, doing real reporting and following the investigation as it goes. And so this giant straw man has been created where the pro-Trump media insists that everyone else proposed that there was definitely collusion going on. I don't know anyone who has definitively claimed collusion is going on, and that's such a vague term anyhow. And so... These warring media camps are set up, even though I I don't think the side to which I belong at CNN fully realizes how under siege it is, because these voices are very influential, and I'm talking about the rise of Sinclair Media. Uh, I used to work at townhall.com, which was owned in part by Sinclair, and I'm familiar with them and how they've expanded. Um, You know, you reference Alex Jones, who takes that line to absurd levels, but that guy has millions of followers and people who follow him, you know, for entertainment purposes. They may not believe it's true. It gets back to this idea. People may not believe it's true, but they don't mind going along with it. And I hear random people in the grocery store talking about how, you know, it's been a year and they haven't found anything. There's nothing there. And it just boggles my mind because, you know... I am just thinking. You haven't seen the indictments. You haven't seen Don Jr. admit in, to meeting with the Russians. You haven't heard all the lies they've told about this, and you don't wonder at all that something could be there. And no, there's no sense of wonder. And so Donald Trump has completely overhauled the media landscape to a big degree, in which it is completely on his side, and. The narratives that he and his allies spin sound silly, but they are compelling, they are powerful, and people believe them. And so whatever comes of this investigation, if Mueller does hand a report to Congress that says, you know, let's say, because I think this is a big dog here, that the Trump campaign accepted election help from the Russians in exchange for sanctions relief, that is going to be a bomb to I don't know what fifty percent of Americans who consume media because mm-hmm. they've never suspected anything was afoot.
1: um this is all scary <laughs> uh all right let's uh let's talk a little bit um about uh what you think is gonna happen in twenty eighteen, twenty twenty. Uh you know, the gaslighting will, will continue. Um you know It already people's... is <laughs> What's that?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah. gaslighting is already afoot. Uh, The gaslighting about the
0: Russia investigation where people are convinced it's a deep state coup against Donald Trump is a powerful narrative that Democrats will have to contend with. And the big trick is whether you get caught up in the anti-Trump fever and reacting to everything that he says, or if Democrats in the districts and statewide races can give voters a... the platform and agenda to think about independently of Trump. It's a it's yeah. a it's a very hard trick. You you think this like sounds easy, like oh yeah, no, it doesn't. It sounds impossible. It sounds completely impossible. No, no, impossible. no. That's actually many times not what the voters want to hear about.
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh, do you think that the uh, the Republicans will keep the House and the Senate in November? or You think they'll lose it?
0: I mean, I think the House is most definitely gone. The Senate, I, I don't think so.
1: You think they'll be able to hold on to it? And then as a result of that, do you think that in 2020 uh, Trump's going to win?
0: Well, it it all depends on who the Democrats nominate. I do not think Donald Trump would have won the 2016 election had he not faced off against Hillary Clinton because it was such a race to the bottom with two flawed candidates. Who do you think would have beaten him? Go ahead, what?
1: Who do you think would have beaten him?
0: Um, I mean, people say like Joe Biden, whoever, but Hillary Clinton, she just was a complete non-starter to too many Republicans to begin with, um, that it it made Trump possible.
1: So if you were to say, let's just say that you moved over to the Democratic side for five minutes here, and you were to say, here's who I think can beat Donald Trump in 2020, who do you think it is? And you can throw out a couple of names, it. it doesn't have to be.
0: He has Clinton baggage, but I think he has the right personality and vigor to take Donald Trump on. And he has executive experience in being a governor in Virginia. And so of all the people that I look at in the universe of Democrats, the person who I think has the right personality to take Trump on and is capable of governing from the middle, that's the first name I come up with.
1: And second name? Mm. I do actually don't so?
0: have a second name. I mean, people say Joe Biden, but eh, eh, eh. I, I don't think that one's going to work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So um, <laughs> of
0: pictures of So pictures with women. <laughs>
1: uh, so we're going to wrap up in a little bit, but I have a couple of questions. When you were reporting your book or, you know, working on the Hill or anything like that, do you have any fun anecdotes that, you, you know, you, you'd like to share? Like there has to be some that come to mind.
0: Well, I have a Joe like, Biden crazy.
1: story. Okay, go for what it. What
0: was it? I talk, I'm trying to think. So I was reporting for the Washington Times, maybe like 2008, and, you know, all these cub reporters, they give you a microphone, you're supposed to go chase people around Capitol Hill. It's like elevated stalking. You literally just sit outside, wi- rooms waiting for them to come out, trying to figure out what elevator they'll pop out of. And I forget what I was interviewing him about. Um, it, it doesn't matter because the point of the story is that he's the only senator I've ever had grab my neck because he got so excited about what he was talking about? He like slipped his <laughs> hands into like my shirt collar, and it was like you gotta believe it. it's like this, and I was so taken aback. Like I dropped my recorder because like what is this man doing? And so <sighs> I was just confused by the whole thing. It wasn't mean, but it was definitely weird. Is That's that a funny, funny. story?
1: <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, so let's play. We're gonna play a little game. Uh, uh, you know, you 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 worked for DeMint and Cruz for a while, uh, the original anti-establishment senators on the right. Um, but I want to, as a Republican, uh, we rarely have Republicans on the show, so I, I want to get your thoughts. We do a little game sometimes where I t- I say a name and you kind of give me a perspective on them and where you think they'll be in a few years. We can say five oh, years. Okay. Um so let's begin, Paul Ryan.
0: Um,
1: is he kind of running a corporate board and coaching
0: his kids in some kind of sports capacity?
1: wait. Say that last part again.
0: A corporate board and coaching his kids in some kind of sports capacity.
1: That's a that's a good one. I I, I like that one. All right. Uh, and is he kind of? Do you think he's out there like talking smack about Trump, or does he just keep his head down?
0: No, I think it's at home with his kids, like, screw this town, I'm going back to Wisconsin, bye. All right. Going in the woods, M- going
1: hunting. <laughs> going go hunting to, sh- to shoot some things. Mitch McConnell.
0: Hopefully retired. Are we ever going to get rid of this guy as oh, Majority Leader?
1: I'm so glad you said that.
0: I mean, honestly, I could write a book about how the death of the Republican Party is because of Mitch McConnell. That could be an entirely, maybe that will be my next conversation. The myth of McConnell. It is a myth.
1: <laughs> he's, he's, he, I, he, ugh. all right, let's go to my least favorite person on planet Earth. Uh, you probably can't guess who it is. Uh, it is actually, believe it or not, not Donald Trump. It's Scott Pruitt.
0: Oh, um, what city is he from? Oklahoma?
1: Yeah, Oklahoma. Now with more earthquakes Back there, than any sheriff
0: of his town driving his own sheriff's car, turning on the lights whenever he wants.
1: <laughs> you don't think he's run. president? You the don't think he's light running in for president? His one light town. <laughs> Wait, you don't think that he's uh, he's going to run for president or something like that? Oh, or try
0: is he smart enough? He wasn't smart enough to figure out you can't take a fifty dollars rent from your lobbyist friend. If you can't yeah. figure that one out, when you are formally wasn't his formerly attorney general of his state? He, Yep. I mean, this guy is definitely too stupid for his own
1: good. Well, he seems to be getting away with quite a lot. All right. uh, Marco Rubio.
0: Is it sad to say I hope he's still a senator? Do you really? I don't know. I mean, a lot of guys get fried, and I don't think he loves it. I don't think anybody loves it. He gets a lot of flack from everybody. There used to be, yeah. Marco Rubio used to be the savior of the Republican Party. Now he's, like, the guy that nobody likes.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, true. I
0: still like him, but he gets flack. He gets flack for everything, and I get he's a little spineless and all that, but I, I don't understand the irrational hatred of Marco Rubio, and I I can see him just getting fed up and going back to Florida because Florida's nice, and he could heck, he could run for governor or something there.
1: Yeah, I think he's. But I think the whole spineless thing is something that is that is a viewpoint of, of Marco Rubio across party lines, and one that will not be going anywhere for quite some time. Um, all right, your uh, your buddy Ted Cruz.
0: Where's he going to be in a few years? Um, I could see him being Senate in the Senate for a long time. I'd much rather him be Majority Leader than Mitch McConnell. How about that? Can I switch him out?
1: You could switch them out. Yeah, you get to decide what happens. So uh, you, cool. you get to switch okay. them out. Yeah,
0: repeal Mitch McConnell, replace with Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, all right, and let's uh, let's end with uh, with a woman, um, uh, Lisa Murkowski, Alex, Alaska retired. House of Representatives. I can't what do believe you think? how long.
0: She, I mean, that her her race where she got off, she got beat in the Republican primary. What was this? Twenty ten. And then yeah. ran as an independent and had to teach people how to spell her name. That was so pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Although she do has think... done some, you know, decent things lately. Um, but that whole thing—that's the first thing I remember.
1: Do you think that uh, that there's a chance that there's more? You know, there's more leasers. There's more. You know, there's more women that, that uh, I know we had talked about this a little bit before. But do you think that, that we, we're going to see a few more uh, that will that will potentially try to challenge Trump in 2020?
0: I mean, that would mean more women would have to be around. I mean, here's the thing. Well, that's to not necessarily true. Trump hadn't Republican been around. Party right now, you have to be willing to defend a man who talked about grabbing women by the pee on an Access Hollywood tape and who endorsed an alleged child molester in Alabama. I don't think a lot of Republican women are up for that. I'm but, not. Okay.
1: Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> one thing that Trump taught us is that you do not have to be a um, – uh, you don't have to be a politician to to be president and therefore there could is there could Roseanne maybe say you know what i'm oh going to run Is she a or, republican
0: like... i don't think so
1: no okay
0: i don't know what she is she dresses up like nazis i mean I know, maybe she's true. i don't know it's just i can't i can't get over the nazi costume thing
1: yeah i, I agree with you all right so, so I mean, um, you know, she's a republican
0: so, and i'm not i'm not going to call her one <laughs>
1: So, so last question before, uh, before I let you go is if you had to pick the worst lie that Donald Trump has told, what is it?
0: The worst lie. The biggest gaslight. Well, I think the most consequential one is the one that came from Hope Hicks in the fall of 2016. I can't remember when, saying that they had absolutely no contact with any Russians. It was such a blanket denial that came from the president uh, that is coming back to haunt them. So that's definitely the worst one because it's so obviously untrue and has such significant consequences that has led ultimately to the appointment of a special counsel. Ouch. Hmm.
1: All right. Well, on that note, uh, I hope that you are right and that it does come back to haunt them. Uh, The book is Gaslighting America, Why We Love It When Trump Lies to Us, although I don't love it when Trump lies to us. Uh, Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. This has been really fascinating. Great, thank you. This is inside the hive with Nick Bilton. Welcome back, John Kelly. That was a fascinating conversation. I definitely recommend you get the book, uh, and you can learn how exactly you're being gaslighted by by Donald Trump, the the, the liar in chief, as uh, as we like to call him. Yeah, gaslighting is
2: one of those words. I, I feel like it, it is such a in vogue word of the moment. Maybe ever since that Lauren Duca teen vogue story about. Um, Trump gaslighting America. Um, I feel like when we, you know, when we're all old and gray. Nickel. you're already gray, but when I'm you're really old and, and gray, and when you, but when you're really, really gray, we might be looking back at um, upon these years, 2017, 2018, as the the gaslighting age.
1: I hope that the, I hope that it, there is an end to the gaslighting age. I don't think I could I could live uh, indefinitely in a world where um, a politician doesn't like something that's written about them, so they just call it fake news. Yeah. Whether it's you know even outside the U.S. with Syria and and so on. Um. So let's just a quick question about Trump, and then we should, we'll move on sure. to uh, more important topics, including um, uh, Elon Musk. Uh, What's going on, at Tesla, and of course the royal family, which I have some questions for you about because I hear you're a royal family expert. Well, you're the Brit, um, so well, but I'll do my best. <clears throat> I am the Brit, but I know the I know the early days. I don't know the present. Uh, do you think, um, as Amanda said, that uh, it is going to take a Democrat uh, who will play on the same field in the same way as Trump? To win 2020, or he will win again. Do you think that there's going to be someone who's going to come out of the out of the, the forged fire? Maybe a woman who can who can stand up to his gaslighting, for want of a better word.
2: You know, I, I actually I don't agree um, uh, with that. Um, I, I think that I think we don't know who's going to be the antidote to the Trump disease. You know, I, I think that it's actually very hard to to come up with the formulas that 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 work. If you look at what has worked so far um the only people who seem like they've been able to get under trump's skin and and, and really kind of defang him are barack obama who of course is not going to run again because he can't uh sadly or yes he could but he but he won't um and michael Avenatti, who's stormy Daniels' lawyer who 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 seems to know how to fight fire with fire and and um and of course he's you know um planning his next steps i presume but not running for President, I think that what's going to throw Trump off is not going to be a sort of equal and opposite reaction, so to speak, but somebody who is um, who's just not reacting. You know, what, what Trump has done so masterfully is he puts everyone on the defensive, much more experienced politicians, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, Chris Christie. They, they, they all found themselves responding to the very sort of like, you know, playground bullying antics that, 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 that Trump put forward and they never got to play their own game. I mean, you know, it, it really is like um, what you see in uh, you, you see it in basketball all the time, which is at the top of my mind as the NBA playoffs go on. That the, the team never gets in rhythm because they're constantly responding to, to the other guys. And um, I think what's going to take down Trump is somebody who's dynamic, who has um, uh, was unpredictable in, the, in their own right, and who forces Trump to uh, to respond to them.
1: Well, let's hope you're right. Whoever it is, I don't really care. It could be a chipmunk or a human being, or uh, you know, even Ivanka at this point. Um, <laughs> well, that would be fantastic. <clears throat> oh my God, she can go and cheer as as millions of who
2: would you vote for more. in a in a Trump versus Ivanka Trump uh, twenty twenty election? Let's say she runs as a Democrat.
1: I think it would be I, if I if that were a real scenario, I would have to vote for Ivanka for one simple reason: hmm. is that she actually. It does care a little bit more what people on the left think. I you know, I think deep down inside, um while the pictures of her and Jared this week smiling and clapping in Israel as um as children were being killed uh on the Gaza Strip were terrifying and I think she was oblivious to a lot of that, at least I hope she was. Uh I do think that there's a little bit of I uh, you know, I care what people think, uh whereas I think for Trump he he gaslights what he thinks people think okay. uh, um, in his mind that you know he thinks everyone loves him uh, even though they don't. So as you lay I that have out, I'm having a sort of terrifying um,
2: panic that like the the, the the internal wannabe House of Cards writer to me is is wondering oh my God what if like Ivanka listens to this podcast and puts his plan forward to her father as the only way to, to save his <clears throat> legacy. That they somehow—that's oh, actually—they they, they pitch they pitch Ivanka to the Democrats as the only antidote to Trump, the only way to take him down, and um, uh, and she ends up becoming president. I, I actually would. Um,
1: uh, I think that that's a that's a viable option in House of Cards. And then if we made it into a an episode of Homeland, it turns out that Jared is actually a double agent for the CIA. And he is forced, as she's about to press the nuclear button to kill, you know, everyone on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, he is forced to choose between the love of his wife or 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 the world, and he has to kill her.
2: Yeah, that's something. We we well, let's talk to our agents <laughs> after this. Um,
1: Jared's all right, too so dumb let's to be move- a um, a double agent. Is is the only problem? It's true. It's true, or he could be playing a dumb person, but I I'm gonna go with you on this one. Um, uh, Elon Musk had a pretty uh, pretty shitty week, huh? Yeah, he sure he uh, sure did. It, it was a funny. Um, I mean, he doesn't
2: get humbled very often, but it, it does seem like um, this was the you know p- people ran on his parade a lot and they criticized him a lot. But this seems to me to be the first time in as long as I can remember that it got to him. I mean, the the, the criticism after the um, uh, the Tesla miss forced him to basically purge his or, and reorganize his executive ranks and. And your reporting su- suggests that he's sleeping on the factory line.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> look, he what what I think is is uh, is actually most fascinating is that his you know his tweets have uh, have slowed down quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, he's he's someone who is. He loves... Elon loves Elon. Uh, he loves the attention he gets. I remember I had a friend who was hanging out with him recently who was in a photo uh, and it was him and Elon and a couple of other celebrities and this friend is not a celebrity and um, and all the celebrities tweeted the picture with the four of them and shared it on Instagram with the four of them and Elon cropped this friend out because of course he's not important enough and of course spent 10 minutes applying different colored filters to make sure the photo looked really cool. And I think that you know that he's very aware of what people think and he loves 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 the like tony stark comparisons and and that people think that he can do whatever he wants and build whatever he wants and he's the, that much of a genius and i think that you know this is the first time where i heard a response from people in silicon valley that was like hey what's going on with this guy is he having a, a kanye west screw loose moment um is everything kind of going to his head and uh you know, it seems that way. But what the good thing is that one of the things he was criticized for quite a lot was that you know your company's up going up in flames. You're you're losing a billion a quarter, at Tesla. At, you already have seven other companies, and now you're going to tweet about starting a candy company. Um, and he, you know, the last uh, few days he's he really has stayed off Twitter. So maybe there's a good message that got through to him.
2: Yeah, well, that that's also just good comms work. You know, if you're um if you're working in communications at a, at a tech company now, the, the first thing you've got to say to your um, to your CEO, no matter who it is, is stay the hell off Twitter, because um, yeah, because th- things that that seem funny in one context look so painfully stupid and oblivious in um, in so many other ones, and and um, and and Musk certainly, uh, you know, he, he he looked boorish. He he, he looked like someone who was who was. Deeply, deeply out of touch with um, with reality, and uh, it's it's not a good look. And it, I feel like the big thing that happened though this week, Nick, is that Tesla went from being valued and considered like a tech company to being considered like a like a car company, which is not really the world they want to be in. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, that they, they, they're valued. I had to talk to an investor who said to me, if you would value Tesla as a car company, it would be valued at around seventy to a hundred dollars a share. Uh, it is around three hundred dollars a share, and if you know based on that value, you're valuing it at a tech company and as a tech company and if you're going to do that, then you're really valuing it as an Elon Musk company so if you take Elon out of it, you're literally pulling two thirds of the market cap of this company off the table billion, tens of billions of dollars and and I think you know Elon has come out a couple of times and said he said in two thousand and fifteen, I believe it was that he expects Tesla to be worth the same amount as Apple um, by 2025. At the time, Apple was worth um, two seven hundred and something billion. Today, Apple is worth uh, nine hundred and ten billion, and so he thinks that by 2025, Tesla is going to be a, a trillion dollar company. Uh, and I, you know, you've got a lot to prove for that. Uh, and um, and a lot of people on Wall Street are not very happy with the performance of Tesla um, as of late and Elon Musk's antics. So.
2: Well, yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's um, let's stay on the, uh, qu- on the subject of um, failing tech yeah. stars, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I'm not uh, talking about Mark Zuckerberg here. I'm actually talking about Evan Spiegel. My mind is uh, is sort of. Um, uh, you know, boggling about um, what what's going on at Snap. It 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 seems like what we once thought was a blip is turning into a much more significant deficit at the company. That, that these new products that we we were kind of you know in, implicitly promised are not arriving. Um, there's brain drain. And this, this redesign, which seems like a relatively small thing, as our colleague Maya Kosov reported, is a big deal. Brands don't want to work with Snap anymore. And, and when and when media brands realize that they don't you – know, what that suggests is media brands realize their audience isn't really there or it's it's fleeing. Um, it is, from your reporting and, and just from people you talked to in, in, in Silicon Valley, in L.A., does Evan Spiegel uh, sense that the, the, the barn may be on fire?
1: Well, look, I mean <clears> – <throat> I think that that Evan Evan has a lot of issues as a um as a CEO. Uh Mark Zuckerberg just as an example is someone who understood, hey, I I'm really probably not the best guy to be doing the operation stuff. Uh so let me let me hire someone to do it and let me hire the best person to do it and there you have Sheryl Sandberg. Um Jack Dorsey you know, is running Twitter and Square, uh, both companies. There are people running the companies essentially because he is overseeing the higher level stuff, and um, and and you know, it, it's for the better for the company as a result. Um, at Snap, when you have Evan, uh, you don't necessarily have someone who, uh, and this is from reporting I've done, people I've spoken to who worked there and formerly worked there, and so on. He doesn't necessarily allow other people to make decisions when they should be able to make them uh well, that's you know, a big deal when, had... when you're
2: running a company with, with with thousands of people i mean that that's um yeah, wall street can't, only...
1: can't stand that correct and um and it is it is one of the you know one of the things that made gm for example the the icon of corporate structure was because they developed a corporate structure where it's it was there was a hierarchy which which was essentially the beginning of all corporate structures like that. Evan doesn't run the company like that. You know, there may be people that are the chief product officer and the chief financial officer and this, and that, and the other, but but Evan is making the final decisions. And the last company that I heard of that was doing this was called Theranos with Elizabeth yeah. Holmes, and look how well that worked out. And I, I'm not saying that Evan is scamming anyone or anything like that. I just think it's really poor leadership. That but Evan's said, got his, he's got. But one of the funny things, just just to point out a little asterisk here. Evan Spiegel
2: was just given, I think, like six or $700 million in a one-time payment by the board to go public. So his incentives aren't fully aligned to, to, to me with, with uh, what it takes to run
1: a public company. Uh, I, I completely agree. I, I do think that um, – I think that your – my prediction is the same thing that happened everywhere else, um, is that Evan is eventually probably – Pushed out by the board or sideways, but the board is friendly to him, right? I mean, you have you have the 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 board is yeah, the board is friendly to him, but the board can only be as friendly as the stock is friendly and Wall Street is friendly because you know it's a public company now. If they if they start pissing around with people's money, here's here's the upside. The upside is yes, the stock has fallen dramatically. Uh, since uh, February 7th, when it was at a high of 20, 2075, I believe. Uh, it is now down to a low of 1057. However, the, the bright side of that is the company went public at around 12 dollars 5 right? Mm. So it's only really down a, a dollar or something since it went public. Which it's not. It is a massive thing, but it is not a massive, massive, massive thing. So there's still a lot of runway and leeway, I think, for Evan. You know, he just had a baby. Um, he's happily married. Uh, he has got more money than God, um, and maybe not more than God, but he's got more money than most executives that I know personally. Um, and uh, and so the the question is, does is his ego? the thing that will drive him to do this is the competition from Facebook and Instagram. What is it that is going to push him to do this? Uh, and if he doesn't push himself to do it, I, I think that he won't be running the company that much longer.
2: Right. That's That's interesting. Well, so Nick, the, but, the, que- yeah, but the
1: question is the one, the one last question is, um, you know, I remember the first time I met Steve Jobs. He came to the New York Times, and he met with all the editors and executive and like reporters and whatnot. This was right around the time the iPad came out, and we, we were all sitting around, it was like twenty five people sitting around a table with him asking questions. And I think it was Brad Stone, who was the Apple reporter back mm-hmm. then, said to, said to him, "Who do you worry about? Like, which competitors do you worry about?" And he said, "I worry about Google." Uh, Steve Jobs said, "I worry about Google," and. And someone else said, "Do you worry about Microsoft?" He said, "No, because it's not a product guy that runs Microsoft. They had a choice to put a product guy in, and I would worry about them, but they put in the sales guy." And he said, "If you go back, oh, talking you about at, oh, okay,
2: sure, right, yeah, talking Balmer. about who,
1: Bomber, right?" <clears throat> and he said, "And Jobs said, if you look at the history of companies when the founder has left and they've they've chosen, they've had an opportunity to you know push the company forward. They the the." Corp, the boards that choose the sales guy, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years from now, the company is doing worse. The ones that choose the product guys is doing better. And so if Evan does end up getting pushed out or does leave, they will be faced with a choice of whether they want an immediate result, which would be to put in a marketing, a business person, or if they want the company to last forever, which, be, which would be finding another product person. Right. That's interesting.
2: Well, Nick, that's a lot of depression
1: so. to take in one day, I'm going to change the
2: subject to something a little more heartwarming and close to your heart, my my dear sweet Brit, um, the royal wedding this weekend. Yeah. The futures so can you tell me, of
1: Harry and Meghan you, become one. Uh, uh, so I, I I haven't actually read anything because I don't think that... Are you playing r- role in music now? In no, sorry. That, that was the other line ringing. <laughs> um, so I haven't read anything on this because I don't have the time or patience, but... What is the story with Meghan's dad not coming to the wedding or something well, like that? Oh, you know, what? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll,
2: Meghan Markle has a complicated family, like like basically everyone, including the Windsors, who, who whose family history in, involves, you know, um, lying, shady butlers, Nazism, and, and a whole lot more. So it, it, it's hard for them to really, you know, um, uh, pinch their noses, but her father lives in Mexico it sounds like he sort of plotted a paparazzi event to to make him you know look cool i i am I'm, I'm you know only was was probably tuned into all this but he's not coming to the wedding um he's not going to walk her down the aisle um and uh you know and and i think the 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 Windsors are are probably um relieved because he's you know i mean the, the, the middleton family was was not uh the, you know a tony upper class family they were they were uh, you know upperly mobile you know uh, seemingly lovely people who had done well by themselves but it seems like the, the Markles are um are a little more representative of what the real world is is like and um you know this is a historic event uh, uh, an african american woman is going to be part of the british royal family i think it's um I, I think it's amazing my mother who doesn't know how to listen to this podcast but is a inveterate facebook poster she's someone who is probably you know sadly born you know 50 years uh too early um, cause she, she treats facebook like a 16 year old um is so in love with Meghan markle and i think she represents the uh, the passions of many in this country and britain who who could not be more excited by th- this real uh world fairy tale but that's not what i want to talk about nick what i want to tell you no. is i have bad news i don't what? think this wedding i don't think this marriage is going to last why do you think the wedding will happen? The, I think the wedding will happen. Although I heard a a, a rumor floated in uh, the Hive Newsroom today that Prince Philip is gonna is going to like time an illness to somehow like you know black out the media coverage, um, which is a sinister but 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 um, but eerily uh, uh, you know believable sort of uh, piece of of um, uh, meaningless gossip. Um, but I don't know. I, I I feel like this all happened very fast, and um, and I think you know she, she's a little bit older than he is. She might be looking to settle down before he before he is. Um, uh, I, I certainly root for love in all cases. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to argue with that. But um, but I wonder. You know, I, I wonder if they're just if they're just moving really really fast.
1: What do you think? You're the you're the British hmm. guy. What, what do you think? Um, I think that it's really hard once you join the Royal family as princess Diana knows to leave the Royal family. And so either they don't let it happen, uh, from day one, um, or they do. And, um, uh, and she stays or they call in me and you to write the script on what happens next. Right. Uh, but, but here's the thing I will say, um, I know people who have, who, who I, I just through, uh, through living in England one, I actually know people that know him, Harry, and he's apparently a really good guy. Oh yeah. Um, he likes to, he likes to party and, but he's actually like a legit good guy who, um, who cares about people and, you know, is, is not, uh, you know, he's seen stuff. He's been, he's been in war zones. He's, um, he, he's, he's he went to university and hung out with normal people. Like he hasn't like, sure he grew up as a Royal, a Royal, but he hasn't kind of lived in a bubble as much as, you know, Ivanka Trump has. Um, and so there's part of me that wonders, well, maybe, maybe, you know, she's real and that's what he wants is something real. Uh, although the only thing that I do wonder is, is she seems like quite a partier. Uh, and I don't know how that's going to jive very well with, uh, with uh the queen and philip right right
2: yeah it's it's unimaginable how much her life is is going to change um although i I did see that they they bought like um i was on a bunch of planes earlier this week so i I got to read us and in touch and people and um i saw that they bought like a 60 million dollar house in los angeles so um you know maybe nick you'll see them around maybe Maybe they'll go to the noi house with you and and have lunch at paley (laughs) You know, I mean, it's possible. Maybe you'll just find Harry like wandering down Sunset in, in the middle of the day, like uh, you know, going through Hollywood because he wants to like see and, some you know, star go,
1: on the on the sidewalk. And I'll go up to him and I'll be like, "Oh my God, it's Nick. We're I'm from England too." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <And> he'll... <laughs> that's right. We we both have kind of weird beards. Yeah. Uh hey who knows who knows well, I'm rooting for them if you you may seem to think that this is gonna end yeah tragedy, I just have a bad I... feeling you know and I, I gotta tell you, I'm good at this game um
2: uh i I have a, a an eerie aptitude for predicting um marriages that aren't gonna work. So, um, have, but, I'll, have, but I'll leave you, it at that. Have, but I do want to say clearly: I do. I hope it works. I hope it works. But I wait, do you
1: have any others that you've com- that you've actually predicted that have come true? Well, I was w-
2: way early on the on the Tom Cruise Katie Holmes thing, which obviously looks like it was obvious in, in retrospect. But I'm telling you, in like 2007 or whatever, I was. Uh, I remember watching him on the couch and, um, uh, on, uh, you know, during the Oprah episode. And I remember turning to. Rebecca, who I then worked with and is now my wife, and thinking this is going to end in captivity and divorce. Um, And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm I'm looking rosy now, man.
1: All right. Well, let's see if you're right. I I have to say I'm very happy that we not only covered Trump, Pence, Cruz, uh, Rubio, uh, Ivanka, Elon, Zuckerberg, Cheryl, uh, and all that usual crowd and the royal wedding this week. Well, it's a new day. We never deserve, deserve a pat on the back. Um, all right, hi listeners. Uh, next week, uh, we're going down a whole different rabbit hole, uh, and I'm going to leave it at that and let you tune in, but it's, it's going be we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics that uh, people actually don't know is my favorite topic, so uh, I will leave it as a surprise. All right, thanks for having me, Nick. Thank you. Thanks to my guest, Amanda Carpenter, and of course to John Kelly. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with me, Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, to my editors at Vanity Fair, and thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Mattress Firm. I will be sleeping better tonight thanks to them. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next week, provided we don't die in some sort of nuclear tragedy.
2: Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it.